Hello, this is Adrian Lee, and you are listening to Tattoo 408. Let's not have to worry about helping someone else pay the rent. Yeah. No. Let's just, we'll, we'll take it on, we'll split it, mm-hmm. and then we can just focus on our creative output. Mm-hmm. Um, that was our ultimate goal with that. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, Ethan Gregory Dodge, with episode... 12 of Tattoo 408. I hope those of you who went out on Friday the 13th to get tatted up had a good time. I sure did. I hit up eight shops. I was trying to get to all of them. Didn't make it, but that's okay. But today, October 18th, I've got a great interview with Adrian Lee for you. If you remember back to my interview with Paco Excel, Adrian opened up New School with Paco. And as aforementioned in that episode, New School changed the game in San Jose tattooing. That is not an understatement. It changed the game in Bay Area tattooing. It was, it, it was monumental. This was by far one of the most thoughtful interviews I've ever done. Adrian was uh, very articulate and very and put a lot of thought and, and, and care behind the words that he that, that he said. And that's also how he approaches his art. So I really, really enjoyed this interview. Adrian currently runs Analog Tattoo and Arts Collective in San Francisco. It's located in the Tenderloin neighborhood. And in next week's episode, he actually goes into a, a bit of description of the shop. So I'm not going to go too deep into it, but it is cathedral-like. You walk up and... They don't have metal bars on the door like everybody in the Tenderloin has. Rather, they have like a metal artistic landscape over the windows. It's it's absolutely incredible. It's got these skulls and these stars and all these beautiful shapes. And then you walk in and it's a huge room and, and an art gallery. The show that was there while I was interviewing him was a Freddie Corbin and Dan Higgs art show and some pretty incredible art. But as him and I sat there alone in the San Francisco night in the shop, there was it, it was it was it was really beautiful. That said, you will hear some of the sounds of the San Francisco streets. There's a couple sirens. There's some people yelling. There's some car horns, but it's not too frequent. Just a quick reminder before we get started: if you love the show, here are some great things you can do. Leave us a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends and family about us. Follow us on social media at tattoo.408 on Instagram and TikTok. If you're buying bandages or soaps or gloves or whatever it might be on sanaderm.com, use the code tattoo408 and you're going to get 15% off. And that's it. Here's the interview with Adrian Lee. Let's start, uh, I guess, at the very beginning. Where, Where were you born and raised? I was born in Northern California in an area called Fall River Mills, okay, which is um, also an area near um, Round Mountain and Bernie, mm-hmm. which was largely, uh, as I as I understand it, was um, a logging community. Well, this is how I knew it as a as a as a young kid. It was a logging community. Mm. Um, it was um, a first. People's community, if I'm not mistaken, it was Pitt River. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of uh, Vietnam vets had kind of migrated out there and a lot of back-to-earther mm-hmm. um, 
folks, which my parents were had, had migrated yeah. out there, mm-hmm. and it was um, just a real, very rural, beautiful place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not familiar with what a back to earther is. For, forgive my naivete there. It's someone who wants to go live off the land. Okay, and uh, that's what that's what my my parents did. Okay. Um, so I lived there until I was around uh, four and a half, five. And then mm-hmm. my mother was um, very adamant about completely disappearing off the face of the earth. And she moved us up to Alaska. Okay. And then I... It's still kind of like that back to earth vibe, right? Like she, but that, more so. Is it kind of... <laughs> so like they want to live off the land, like like kind of like homesteading type stuff where they're growing yeah. everything that they're eating and, and well, it, it was more just living off the land in round mountain. It was living off the land and, you know, milling your own wood, mm-hmm. building your own structures and, um, living within the community that was out there. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm-hmm. uh, they would do, um, for example, someone would have a wholesale account. So they would all do community meetings to order, mm-hmm. uh, bulk food. Got it. Um, yeah, and they would all party together, and they would all mm-hmm. raise kids together, and um, that's kind of my remembrance of it, I guess. And what was that? I mean, you you were only there until you said like four or five, but do you have any memories of being raised with other kids there? Like what? Or uh, I have, I have actually some I have really distinct memories from mm-hmm. that period, which is nice. I, I appreciate and. As far as kids, one of my, you know, like my first friend that I ever had is was from there, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and he still we're still friends to this yeah. day. You know, we kind of be, we're kind of fox and the hound kind of people, but we're <laughs> it's a great still movie. friends through it all. It is a great <laughs> movie. Um, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember a lot of the just interesting, the really interesting community that was out there. And yeah. Kind of, uh, and being raised in nature that that young, I think was just great for me. Yeah. Um, and it also harkens back to my early experiences with tattooing, because that's when I really um, started to fall in love with tattooing. It was, I th- it was really young. Mm-hmm. Um, I would see the tattoos on the vets out there, you know, they were specifically kind of Vietnam vets uh-huh. who just needed to get away. Uh-huh. Um, and they were just always really fascinating to me, to me to see these emblems. They were all <laughs> the single point stuff. Yeah. You know, they're really cool emblems. And and then uh, I saw The Illustrated Man, which is a, a film about the, it's an interpretation of Ray Bradbury's mm-hmm. book. Yeah. When I was about five, um, my mm-hmm. father recently told me that that was incorrect. He said I was probably around three, which oh, wow. makes it hard for me. To, it's hard for me to understand that I could comprehend it yeah. betterly, but given the fact that I do have some really strong fields of memory then, maybe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. we'll say between, like maybe four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really young. <laughs> but that, I saw that film and it scared me. It was so dark and magical and mm-hmm. all the power in the, in the tattooing and the film mm-hmm. just scared me excited, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. from that day, I was just completely obsessed with tattooing. Interesting. And, but it was never 
in my scope of reality, it was always just complete fantasy mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid and yeah. I didn't know, I didn't even, it just didn't comprehend that that was anything you could ever do. Yeah. Just magical. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. Did it like inspire you to start drawing tattoo related art or? No, uh, I, I didn't know, not at all. Not until I was a teenager mm-hmm. is when I started to realize that I could do that. Yeah. Explore that. But my mother is a wonderful artist and she's the one that initially taught me how to draw and exposed me to that and, and encouraged me yeah. to explore all that. How, how old were you when she started? Zero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right from the very beginning. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was fortunate that she was just really grateful that she would just expose me to that and yeah. give me that. My father is a wonderful musician and he exposed me to all those aspects too. Yeah. So. Are you yourself a musician? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every tattoo artist has, al- has always dabbled in music and whether or not it's like stuck with them <laughs> is another yeah. story, but. I mean, I love being, I mean, there's a grand piano right next to us and yeah. I can fumble around on that thing. Yeah, that's dope. So I, I <clears throat> excuse me, you said your mom wanted to get even more off the grid and you moved up to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And what, um, how long were you up there? I lived there until I was an early teenager. Okay. And I'm gonna get all these years off, That's, these days off by does. probably one or two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, when were you born, by the way, on that note? Um, I was born in 1975. Okay, okay, cool. So you so move up to Alaska, like 1980, around there somewhere? Yeah, probably. Okay, and then you're <laughs> there all through the 80s. Yeah, I guess I was. And I would come back, so I would also come to California to summer with my father. Okay, so, um, you're, you're mo- so your parents split at that separated. point? It separated. Okay. Mother disappeared into Alaska with, with her sons. Mm-hmm. And then we would come back and we'd be with my father during the summer. Mm-hmm. And we'd go back up there during the winter. Yeah. The, how many siblings do you have? Uh, that's a complicated story, but um, at one point I had three brothers. Mm-hmm. And now I have one brother. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That would be a whole nother th- thing to explore. <laughs> yeah, 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 we don't. Um, the, so yeah, what was Alaska like? Like you, you said that you were very connected with nature. I actually just went to Alaska for the first time this year and it was fucking incredible how beautiful it was. And so that just seems like, I well, seem, if, you, if, if you loved nature so much as a young kid, it seems like Alaska was a great place to grow up. Was that the case or? Alaska is, is is dramatically beautiful on just so many levels. I'm sure, mm-hmm. I mean, you witness as the siren goes by, but. <laughs> no worries. And I was a kid, so I didn't know any, you know, you don't know any different. Yeah. It's just, you're growing up yeah. in nature and it's just, mm-hmm. so it's, it's only looking back that you kind of see the value and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, Alaska always, it also, I didn't understand as a kid, but looking back had, um, a lot of darkness too. They don't really put mm-hmm. in the brochures. And mm. again, as a kid, you don't realize yeah. it. You're just kind of living. Yeah. Um, but through the winters, there's a lot of darkness for a lot of people. And it's, it's probably one reason I don't live in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, because, because of that, my brother still lives in Alaska. He loves it. Yeah. But he was also born there and mm. it's, it, it feels like home to him and yeah. he's flourishing yeah. out there. 
Um, maybe it's because I was born in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I remember I was, uh, you know, we were living off the grid at the time. There was, you know, no running water, no electricity, mm-hmm. kind of living near the southern entrance to uh, Denali National Park. Mm. And I had gone out to cut down a tree just because I had so much just internal aggression yeah. in there being isolated. I just had to go mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let it out on something. And I chopped down this tree and I'm after it chopped down, I'm standing there in the woods and all I can hear, the only sound I can hear is the blood in my ears. Um, it's probably because I'm an early teenager and mm-hmm. it's just the hormones going through my body. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, that's when I kind of got the feeling that maybe this isn't, I need, I need something, I need more um, civilization, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after that, um, through a variety of circumstances, I ended up moving back to California with my father. Okay, okay. Before we get to that part, I want to, I um, what, I want to dive into your mom's art and how, and how she influenced, what, what kind of stuff was she, was she drawing, was she painting, what, what, what was her art and how to, and yeah, what was its uh, subjects? She liked to focus on anything. She would explore different things. She likes to explore different things and then she moves on, you know, mm-hmm. so she was never one of those artists that really dials down one mm. thing. Mm-hmm. She would get into uh, painting a certain subject, and then she'll get mm-hmm. into drawing a different subject, and then mm-hmm. she she got into sculpting rocking horses. Uh, Interesting. Then, uh, my stepfather, that she the, the person she married when she went to Alaska, mm-hmm. eventually um, his family were sign painters, and she got really into sign painting, and mm. they both taught me knowledge on letter forms. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's always really kind of been varied mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. She's never she's never like focused on it as like it's something she could do as a career. It's it's just something she likes to explore, and she likes to explore lots of things. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, is she is she still like that? She still oh yeah dabbles in the in she's all the arts. Like <laughs> <laughs> she dabbles in exploring life. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, she's still off the grid. Uh, no, she recently moved to Northern Washington. Okay. Uh, I think she she married a guy that she was into, and I think she was kind of tired of burning through guys because mm-hmm. they couldn't quite keep up with her. Mm-hmm. And I think he wanted to move to Arizona, and they settled on Northern Washington. <laughs> so they're they're way out there, but they actually have you know they're on the grid now. Yeah, and, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm, my mom's a whole other story. Of, yeah, <laughs> she's she, she's she's really kind of push her limits in life a lot. Yeah. 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 So what, what did, how did she, what kind of things was she trying to get you to do as a kid in terms of art, just like anything or how did she encourage you to explore your creativity? Um, Early on, she would just present things to me and say, let's try this, you know, and just try to get the gears going Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah. Um, And then later in life, she would just kind of be supportive of whatever I was trying to explore and Mm -hmm. provide materials or um, suggestions. Yeah. She always had good input on what I was doing or yeah. what I was trying to do. Can you give me like an example of one thing that she gave you to explore? 
Um, the early stuff, I can't remember. I just remember her putting materials in front of me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that, you know, this is like up, up until like five years old. Mm -hmm. And then after that, when I started discovering my own path, she would show me how I could, you know, like I got really into uh, comic books, for example. Mm -hmm. So she would show me like, well, here's how you can, here's the materials you need and here's what you can do to kind of recreate this mm -hmm. and just give me what I needed to, to, to try to do it. Yeah. So you were, you were copying the comics or, or making your own in that style or both or? Both. Yeah. 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 Copying and, and then making some pretty fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like what? It, oh, I would do ridiculous stuff. Like uh, I actually saw some recently. I was going through storage and uncovered some like I, these cyborg guys that, with lasers. Mm -hmm. They would, that was their thing. They would shoot lasers and cut people in half, and they were heroes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's dope. Um, and you still have those? Yeah, that's I, really cool. I managed to let myself keep a few of them. That's awesome. Throwing them out for embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta hang them up now, man. <laughs> right. Put, put them in the gallery. Um, so did 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 art become an outlet for you for like of, of expression or like what did it mean to you as a kid? I think art became, that kind of creative expression became a way for me to find my own world. You mm -hmm. know? Um, I was kind of a, not great at making friends. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of like a world that I could explore. Yeah. And also create a sense of self. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't really into what, other kids were into. Mm -hmm. uh, I would try to be, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, by and large, I wasn't. Yeah. And um, but this, I could create my own self sense of identity and almost sense of self importance, you know, because yeah. here's this thing I could do that nobody else could do. Right. Uh, right. That's cool. And so you went out and you cut down this tree, and you said the only thing you could hear was the blood in your ears. And then you said that that was kind of when you realized that you wanted to go back to California. What well, what was going on? I mean, if you if if, if you don't, I didn't. I didn't know I needed to go back to California, but I knew that this wasn't working. Uh huh. You know, mean saying I needed to go. Back, if I was to say I need to go back to California, that would mean having to tell my mother that I didn't want to live with her. Yeah. So it was. It became. It was just that was a very complicated period of my my mother and father um, having custody battles and stuff. Mm. So. Ultimately, I just ended up on the other side of the custody battle. Yeah. So I ended up in California. Okay. So that was, that, that it just kind of, but that's ultimately, is that ultimately what you wanted? I mean, you did, it, when you say it wasn't working out, are you talking like specifically in Alaska with your mom? It's not what I wanted. Got it. But it's what happened and it's, I'm, I guess it's what a part of me wanted. Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's not what I wanted. Yeah. You know, how do you choose that? Right. So. Right. How did that affect you? How did coming back to California? It was, I mean, it was great. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Where was your dad living at that point? Redding, California. Okay. Okay. And that was the biggest town I'd ever lived in at that point, mm -hmm. which is not a big town. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> um, but they had, um, they had a lot of asphalt and they had a lot of, 
concrete and they had a skateboard shop. Okay, okay. And uh, one of the first thing I did was I went down to the local skate shop to try to figure out how to get a skateboard. Mm-hmm. And um, on the walls, they had these just drawings from local kids on the mm-hmm. walls. And they were all just skaters, mm-hmm. sick in these amazing poses. And just, everything looked so dynamic to me. And mm-hmm. I'm like, who, who did these drawings? Like, this is, this is, this is amazing. And I started reading the names on the, on the pages mm-hmm. and thinking, how do I get my art in here? I need to get on these walls. Like, Mm-hmm. This is this is how things start to happen for people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I was reading the names, and there was three specific people that I remember. One was um, uh, Miguel Montgomery, okay, who was um, who ended up becoming a tattooer, okay, later in life, and he was a, just a hardcore skater back then, and a really cool artist who did really a really cool style of art that I hadn't seen before. It was mm-hmm. more, he, he was kind of tied into that kind of street style of art, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. And then Sean Bell was on there and he was never a tattooer. He was a skater musician, mm-hmm. did really amazing drawings. He ended up moving to Arizona and met Grimy, mm. like before, I think Grimy just started tattooing at that point, just mm-hmm. coincidentally, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And another guy named Justin Bell, who later became Justin May, mm-hmm. um, and he his drawings were on there. And he was also he had a job at a local sign shop, so he was doing murals. Mm-hmm. He, he was he was up, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is the guy I need to emulate. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I need to get to his level. Mm-hmm. And I was, uh, and that that that's what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And then shortly after, he ended up. I mean, we all kind of fell into tattooing at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, I, I, w- I remember being, I randomly ended up at this house and seeing him do his first tattoos. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time I'd seen tattooing being done. Mm-hmm. And watching him do it, it just, I'm like, wow, I, this is, I, I'm actually seeing this happen, mm-hmm. you know? I had started to realize that maybe this is something I could, as a teenager, I'm like, wait a minute, maybe I could do this. Mm-hmm. And I started, mm-hmm. that's, so I switched all my drawing to drawing tattoos. Mm. And then once I saw it being done, I'm like, by one of my peers, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, wow, that was such a cool experience. Yeah. And then Justin got an apprenticeship at a shop in Chico. Okay. And... I didn't, I wasn't good enough. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, I didn't have a car either, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and so I just started um, tattooing my friends like any young punk rock kid would do. Uh-huh. I got my hands on some stuff and started doing it. Um, and My brain's starting to freeze. You're fine. You're fine. So the, then. <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm understand that I just want I, that I am understanding the the timeline you're setting out here. So you saw those drawings at the skate shop, um, and one of them was by Justin May. Is that what you said? At the time, it, it was Justin Bell. Bell, yeah. And then you somehow connected with him. Yeah. So I I 
I didn't know Justin. Mm-hmm. He was just way cooler than me. He was, uh-huh. you know, some just not one of those kids that I could. Was he your same age? Uh, he was a year or two older than me. Okay, okay. I remember the first time I met him, it was down at this park where all the kind of lost kids would hang out. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting on this park bench and he's just, you know, flipping a Zippo lighter open and shut. Mm-hmm. He had this dark Martins on, this leather jacket and this fiery red hair and a ponytail. Mm-hmm. And his eyes are all narrow and he's just like looking at you like, don't fucking talk to me. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. like, I'm, I'm, I'm way too cool for you. Like I know way too much kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. wow, that guy's white. It's so cool. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and that harkens back to like, I'm never me as cool as that guy, as that guy but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to draw like that. Yeah. Um, How old were you? When I met Justin, I was probably 14 or 15. Okay. Okay. Um, and then he, so he was 16 or 17. Yeah. And I think he got an apprenticeship when he was around 18. Okay. And then he started warming up to me uh-huh. a lot and he started sharing information with me that nobody else would share with me. About tattooing. Yeah. Uh-huh. It, was, it was just information that was not available. Did you get the machines from him? Or? Uh, my, my first one is no, I, I, it was some mail order. Okay. Supreme, I think is what it was. Yeah. I got a little couple of Supreme machines. Okay. But Justin opened the doors and showed me, gave me hookups to like, uh, uh anything and everything you could want at that period. Yeah. Or, or I didn't even know about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, Justin taught me how to make magnums. Okay. Um, Justin gave me. Gave me, put in a good worth with National so I could order supplies from National. Okay. Because you, yeah. you could not otherwise. You had to have a referral, yeah. Um, he introduced me to uh, Marcus Pacheco. Mm. He gave, put in a good word with me with Marcus so I could get in and get tattooed by him. And where was Marcus tattooing at the time? At the time, he was tattooing in San Francisco. Okay. Um, and, I mean, anybody who knows me knows Marcus changed my life. So Yeah. Who, <laughs> who, how did he know Marcus? He was getting tattooed by him. Okay. Yeah. So he's, he's tattooing in Chico yeah. and also getting tattooed by Marcus in SF. He was coming to San Francisco to get tattooed a lot by everybody. Okay. At, um, again, he had a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how far of a drive is that? From Chico? Yeah, like for Redding. I guess he was living in Redding or Chico. Anyway, yeah. From, from Redding, I, th- I can't remember, four hours maybe. Okay. Yeah. And this is like in the 90s. Um. Late late nineties or very early nineties, ninety. Yeah, this was probably around ninety three. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you were born seventy five, yeah. and yeah, tattooing was like some people call that a tattooing renaissance in San Francisco. Historians mm-hmm. disagree with that <laughs> term, but that's okay. The point is, is that there was a lot of really big people, like Marcus Pacheco, tattooing. Yeah, that's what is. isn't that when. Freddie Corbin and Dan Higgs started tattooing too? Uh, they were tattooing slightly before with Ed Hardy. Yeah. Over yeah, at, Ed Hardy at Tattoo was, City. Yeah. Um, but, it, it, you know, Renaissance or not, it was a period where there was a really heavy saturation of energy. Yeah. And tattooing, in sense, San Francisco has long been kind of like a, the Bay Area in general has long kind of been like this tattoo hub, yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but that period was really springing forth. Yeah. It was anybody in tattooing wanted to get there or visit there or just see what was happening. Yeah. And to, you know, 
go look at someone's portfolio because you mm-hmm. couldn't do that otherwise. You'd have to yeah. travel there to see it. Yeah. Okay. So why why did you want Justin to connect you with Marcus? Because um, I had I didn't know Marcus, mm-hmm. and um, I didn't know how to introduce myself to Marcus. Why did you want to know him? Because I wanted to get t- tattooed by him. Okay. Um, because he was he was doing stuff that was. just knocking the top of my head off, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I was really timid, shy, and not very communicative. And um, so I was asking Justin's opinion on how I could do that. Mm-hmm. And Justin was always really helpful and he was just like, I'll do that for you. Mm-hmm. And gave me that introduction. Yeah. <laughs> and then how'd that go from there? Uh, it, it went great. I continued my relationship with Marcus and I continued mm-hmm. to get tattooed by him and it blossomed into me doing my whole bodysuit or him doing my whole bodysuit. So he did your whole, your, pretty much your whole body then? Anything from my neck to my knees is, yeah. is by Marcus. Yep. Wow. And then below that, I just have some collector stuff and yeah, room for friends. <laughs> How long? Uh... Yeah, so but, wow, we could take that a lot of ways. Getting a bodysuit from Marcus Pacheco. I actually didn't know that. I did not know that you had a, a bodysuit from him. That's pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, can, explain to listeners who don't, who may not know who Marcus Pacheco is, his who he was and his influence on tattooing. It's hard to overstate his effect on on tattooing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also without negating anybody else's effect around him, because there was lots of other people that were mm-hmm. influencing Marcus and, and stuff, but what he did changed the path for, I think, pretty much everybody mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, maybe everybody in my generation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, him and a few other tattooers. Mm-hmm. And for me, Marcus's work just really spoke to me specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, his approach and his his overall approach to the, just the process and to the way he treated people mm-hmm. and... the way he made it an environment where that's all that mattered, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. the, the creative energy that we were putting into it in mm-hmm. his, his studio at Primal Urge. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt like an environment where you were f- free from any trapping of the modern tattoo establishment, I guess. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot mm-hmm. of rules yeah. within that. You had to work in this specific way, mm-hmm. in this way, because you have to uh, make money for whoever you're working for. And mm-hmm. um, Marcus's approach was to not have any of that and just focus purely on the creative exploration. Mm-hmm. And that was really freeing in, in a lot of ways, Yeah, in, in every way. Yeah. Um, and that was extremely inspiring, inspiring to me. Yeah. So, 
So over how long how long were you getting tattooed by him? I mean, a whole bodysuit takes a long time. What? I started when I I just I was like a couple weeks eighteen, mm -hmm. and he started tattooing me. And um, I started with my arms, and then pretty quickly as I was exploring tattooing, I started to understand the broader the broader world of tattooing and started mm -hmm. to understand large body work mm -hmm. and started studying Japanese tattooing a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I kind of decided that, yeah, I want to dedicate my body to one person because everything I looked at, that was the most cohesive and dramatic stuff that I could see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Intentional, mm -hmm. the most intentional. And so I drew out some different silhouettes of what that could be. And I just gave him, I gave him to Marcus and I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm thinking maybe it would end up, not the imagery, just the silhouette. Yeah. Um, it might end up like that. What do you think? And um, he, he was, he just, he didn't skip a beat. He's like, yeah, great silhouette. And we'll fit the imagery within, within that. Yeah. And we just kind of stuck to that in general throughout the years. I think I finished my body suit in my mid thirties. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we stuck to that original kind of just general direction. Wow. It's amazing how just a little bit of, a little bit of forethought went a long way. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I definitely want to hear a lot more about how Marcus, like about those conversations that you had with Marcus and how he's influenced your tattooing. But you, I also do, before we get too far down the road, I want to go back to when you started, when Justin got the apprenticeship and you got your hands on those catalog machines or mail order machines or whatever, and then started tattooing your friends. What, what were you tattooing? And you were like mm -hmm. 16, 17? Yeah, it was probably around, yes. Yeah, Late 16, 17. I did my first tattoos when I was about 15. Okay. And those were with, uh, those were hand poke tattoos. Okay. And then probably around 16, late 16, I got my hands on some machines. Mm -hmm. And then I would just tattoo my friends anywhere and everywhere and yeah. whatever. It didn't matter. Yeah. I was just, I just wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but then eventually I got, um, you know, I, my my father was not thrilled with tattooing. Mm -hmm. um, he was trying to be supportive, but he was just really concerned about that life path. Mm -hmm. um, and it makes sense given what he experienced prior in life. It didn't look like a very good choice. Okay. Um, and you know, he he was he played in rock bands and played a lot of Hell's Angels parties and mm -hmm. just saw some stuff that. And then he was also really involved with the church. So he would see people that would come in. I'm, I'm kind of making this up, but I'm, what I'm imagining he would say yeah. with stories about some pretty gnarly stuff. Right. And uh, it just, it, it was just clearly not a good path. So was, I, he, was he tattooed? No. 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 Oh, and then just when you say the church, you mean the Catholic church? Methodist. Methodist. Okay. Yeah. And so I moved out when I was fucking. How old was I? Late 16, 17, maybe? Mm -hmm. um, partially because I wanted to give him 
I, I just really didn't feel like I could explore that. Mm-hmm. It was under his roof, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, again, he was trying to be supportive of me, and right. but I could tell it was really hard for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't blame him at all. Like, yeah, a lot of the choices I made in life from playing in punk bands and skateboarding and motorcycles and graffiti, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it all didn't look good on paper, right? Right, right. <laughs> Fast forward, my father is one of my, the most supportive people in my life and yeah. supports me in every way. Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for that. It just took him a while to come around. Yeah. Um, so I, I was tattooing. I moved out and I was working at Wendy's okay. to, so I could afford my apartment and so I could buy supplies mm-hmm. to tattoo. And so I'd work there then in the day and then I'd just tattoo in my apartment at night. And you were um, still in Reading? Mm-hmm. Okay. I was still in Reading at this point and... I, and then things started to happen pretty quickly. I am remembering, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give a little context. My, I had a boss, my boss at Wendy's was Stan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Stan was his name. And he was a lifer. His father owned multiple chains mm-hmm. and multiple restaurants and Stan was all about Wendy's. That was his life. He was really into it. You know, and I wasn't quite as into it as he was. Uh-huh. And one day I was, I went in the walk-in freezer because I found out I could take breaks in there off the books. Oh. And nobody would bug me for a little bit. I could just have yeah. a couple of minutes just to rest because I was, I was tattooing all night. I was working, the, I was just tired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Stan walks in the walk-in freezer and he's like, hey man, what are you doing? We got to rush. Uh, I was like, oh man, I'm sorry. I just needed, I just needed a break. Uh, I'm coming out right now. He's like, no, I got somebody else on the grill. <laughs> uh huh. I need to talk to you. I was like, okay, all right, what? He's like, I just don't get why you, why you don't put forth the effort that like that we need and stuff. Like, well, you're paying me like four dollars an hour, but. <laughs> and he's like, you know what the difference between you and me is? I said, no, Stan. What's the difference? <laughs> he's like, I care about this job, and you don't. And I got kind of reactionary and I'm like, no, Stan, the difference between you and me is I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And Stan just kind of looked at me cold. We're standing there walking freezer. Uh-huh. Just doesn't say anything, just stares at me. Uh-huh. And then turns around and walks out. And I thought, oh my God, why did I say that? That was so, so mean to say to Stan. <laughs> and I went back to work and he wasn't very happy with me. And then a couple weeks later, I'm at the grill doing my thing and this like six foot blonde guy with mirrored glasses and tattoos are all over him walks in Mm -hmm. and he walks up to the register where Stan is working and says, Hey, I'm here looking for Adrian Lee. Where's he at? And I was like, Oh, fucking, I don't know who this guy is. The same day that you had the conversation. This is about two weeks later. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I don't know who this guy is. He's got tattoos all all over him. They, Probably figured out I'm tattooing. This uh-huh. could be bad for me. I don't uh-huh. know what's happening. But Stan just goes, yeah, he's right over there and points at me. <laughs> I was like, Stan, man. <laughs> and this guy's like, Adrian, let me talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> Calls me over. I'm like, uh, yeah. He's like, I heard you've been tattooing. We've seen some of your tattoos. They're looking pretty good. I'm like, ah, no, I not. I mean, yeah, I tried it a few times and stuff. He's like, uh-huh. no, I've seen them on that guy right over there. And he points at this other guy I work with 
uh-huh. who I tattooed. Uh-huh. And I'd done some just horrible, like Eddie Deutsch Geeker style uh-huh. inspired uh-huh. stuff on him. Okay. He's like, if you, if you can tattoo like that, you should be tattooing with us. Uh-huh. And I knew what he was talking about. There's only one shop in town. Uh-huh. And it was a convict shop. Okay. Um, I mean, it was. It was a convict shop. Yeah. <laughs> they had a rotating cast of people. This was before three strikes. Mm-hmm. People would come in and out. Mm-hmm. And he wanted me to go over there that day. He's like, we want you to come over and work with us now. And I was like, Zuh. I was trying to make excuses because I didn't uh-huh. actually want to work there. Okay. I had different aspirations. And so I started making excuses and saying, well, I'd have to give in two weeks. I can't just like pack up and leave my real station. I'm an important person uh-huh. here, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm saying this and the, this guy, his name was Phil. Yeah, that's right. He just kind of puts his arms out and looks around the restaurant and he goes, what are you going to do this for the rest of your life? <laughs> and I kind of look over at Stan and he looks at me and he goes, just, just go, man. Just go. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I put down a spatula and I went to to work for the dark side. The dark side. That was the name of the shop. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. The dark side and it's a convict shop. That's awesome. So what was that like? What was that shop like? That was a really cool learning experience. Yeah. Yeah, that was good indoctrination. And I'm really glad that um, they encouraged me to go over there. Yeah. Um. It was weird because I was so young. Everybody had gone to prison right before I got there. I think that's kind of why they, maybe they hired me. Mm-hmm. There was mm-hmm. no one to work. Yeah. And I was like 17-ish at that point and did not look the part. Uh-huh. And no one would, no one wanted to get tattooed by me. They would come in and be like, this kid is tattooing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I was trying to figure out how to get be taken more seriously. And I was looking at the tattoo times books that Ed put out. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, Ed always wears a button up shirt and a tie and carries a briefcase. <laughs> maybe, maybe this is what I need to do. So <laughs> this is, and I had no idea how to even barely dress myself at that period. So I went out and bought some crispy dicks, uh-huh. uh, uh, a car, a uh, 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 Carhartt shirt. No. So yeah, some sort of work shirt. Uh-huh. And a freaking like clip on tie. <laughs> so I wear like work clothes with a tie uh-huh. thinking I looked really nice. <laughs> Probably looked even more awkward <laughs> trying to be taken seriously, but yeah, side note. But. That's hilarious. <laughs> did, did that, did it help? I don't know. I did. <laughs> <laughs> so what, like what kind of shop was that? Like a, like a walk-in shop or I guess they were all walk-in shops back then. Or yeah. No? It was a walk-in shop. Yeah. And uh, when, how long did it take before you, people started taking you seriously, like the clients and stuff? Not that long. I mean, it was a walk-in shop. For the, so the first couple of days leaving there, I'd walked out of there with more money than I ever made in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which meant like $200. Yeah. And in, a, in one day. <laughs> yeah. 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 And uh, it, yeah, it was a walk in shop. So as long as you showed up uh-huh. and you could convince people to sit down with you, mm-hmm. it would work. Um, and then, yeah, pretty quickly, um, people started 
coming back. And uh-huh. Yeah, it started to happen pretty quick, I guess. And what what kind of stuff were you tattooing? At that time, anything and everything. Yeah, it didn't it didn't matter. I was trying to formulate the style, I guess. Uh huh. And I was doing early emulations of like Pacheco and Hoyer. Mm-hmm. Um, as I recall. But at this point, you you still had you still hadn't met Pacheco. It was still just a admiration. Um, let's see. I think probably shortly after I started working there, I got to meet. I got I got tattooed by Pacheco. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Shortly after, I couldn't tell you the dates, yeah, but yeah, yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah, and. Um, and the other guys that you were tattooing with, like, or other people who, who were they, like, well, were they helpful or did they literally just like view you as, as like another person to come in and tattoo or did, did they actually teach you the ropes and stuff? They were all helpful and it was like rotating cast, you know, uh-huh. they'd be out for a couple months and they'd go back in. Uh-huh. Um, one guy I remember was, um, uh, Roman Fiesler was this penitentiary tattooer that could just do really cool stuff uh he's he kind of gave me some initial education on how to how to create something on the fly mm-hmm. i guess and, mm-hmm. um how to interpret what people are saying and just make something happen mm-hmm. i think he was watch he, he could do that so watching him do that really kind of showed me how to do that for other people mm-hmm. um was there, was there like flash on the wall that people would choose from or? There was, but it was, it wasn't even like Cherry Creek stuff. I can't remember. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was not, it was a really small place, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was under a thousand square feet. Wow. And it was. It was probably more like 500 square feet. I think wow. about it. So they didn't have a lot of room for flash. And they, old, they sold other stuff. They, they had paraphernalia and stuff like that in there too. Mm-hmm. So the tattooing area was actually pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. And you said it was the only shop in Reading. Uh, there was one other guy named Carver John. <laughs> and his, his name fit his style. Um, <laughs> but he, and he had a spot on the outskirts of Reading. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I took a, a good friend of mine, his, his father tattooed with Carver John a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I was able to take my early machines to John when I couldn't get him to work and he would, mm. he would just kind of point at it until I figured it out kind of thing. He wouldn't, he wouldn't actually fix them or anything like that. Yeah, he yeah, just yeah. kind of like, point at it until I, I figured out what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. We're, your time at the dark side, would you view that as like, or do you view that as a formal apprenticeship or? No, I didn't have a formal apprenticeship. And, um, but I had a lot of really, um, really influential um, mentors in life. Yeah. And Justin Bell mm-hmm. being one of the big ones early on. Mm-hmm. Marcus Pacheco being a huge one. Mm-hmm. Um, and then anybody and everybody I met after that um, 
if I had any information, I was absorbing it. Yeah. And that's how I, that's how I got it. Yeah. How, um, how long were you at the dark side? I'm not sure, not, it seemed like a long time, but it was probably maybe a year. <laughs> yeah, seems like a long time to a 17 year old. Yeah. <laughs> um, I left Reading in 95, I think. Okay. Early 95, I think. And where'd you, and that's when you left the dark side was when you left Reading mm -hmm. and where'd you go? Well, I wanted to be in the Bay Area. I wanted uh -huh. to be a part of that energy. Uh -huh. I wanted to be, I wanted to have access to that energy. Yeah. And I've been trying to get hired in um, San Francisco and I, nobody was going to hire me. It wasn't good mm -hmm. enough. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I tried at Erno's and they they wouldn't hire me. They said, try Erno's in Santa Cruz. I tried that one. Uh -huh. They're like, no, I don't think so. So then I resorted to opening a map and learning more about California geography. Uh -huh. So I, I opened up a map of California and then I opened up a couple issues of Skin Art magazine. Okay. And I was going through them and I'd see, okay, this place is, that's a cool tattoo. Where was that done? In Santa Barbara. So I look at the map and I'm like, oh, wow, that's pretty far south. Yeah. Okay, no. Yeah. This is Anaheim. <laughs> and I look, I'm like, no, it's too far south. And then I saw this tattoo by a tattooer named Tim McCarthy. Uh -huh. And he was a San Jose tattooer. Uh -huh. And it said San Jose. And I looked on the map and I'm like, that's the Bay Area. That's still the Bay Area. That counts. <laughs> So I called them and they were looking for somebody and um, they hired me. Mm -hmm. And and that was my next step. What was the shop? It was called Tattoos or Us. Okay. And Ta uh, it's funny, I'm almost a little hesitant to say the name just based on the history, but <laughs> yeah. I, I guess at this point it doesn't matter. Yeah, it was Tattoos or Us. <laughs> yeah. And when, so, um, so when uh, you joined Tattoos R Us, and I already know you said Jim McCarthy was there. Tim McCarthy. Tim McCarthy. Excuse Tim me. Tim McCarthy wasn't actually there when I got there. He had already left. Okay. This magazine was like six months earlier or something like that. Got it. Where he? Where did he go? Do you remember? I think he went to New Mexico. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then wasn't Scotty Weeks there when you? Scotty wasn't there either. He wasn't there. He had already opened the Marks of Art when I got there. Okay. But Paco was. Paco told me the story of when you, of, from his perspective of when you came in. Mm -hmm. And I, <laughs> I know you said you hadn't listened to it yet, but he- but When I showed up? Yeah, when you showed yeah, up. Yeah, I already know that story. I can yeah. imagine it. Yeah. I'm, I can already hear what he's saying. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he, he was like, well, remind me the guy that ran it, the guy that owned to uh, Toys R Us, the Tattoos R Us. <laughs> it's funny you say that because even you asking me, I'm hesitant to say his name just based on the history, but again, I think enough time has passed. So his name was Little G. Little G, that's right. Yeah, Paco told me what ended up happening to him. He like had to run to Vegas or something like that. It's a complicated story, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Paco told me, he told me that you, let, you, you were on, you pulled up in a Honda Rebel, Rebel which is actually the motorcycle that my wife drives. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's um, the biggest motorcycle I could afford. <laughs> yeah. What size was it? 250. 250. Hell yeah. Couldn't even get the 450. It's a great, it's a great motorcycle. My wife's on the 1100. It's a great motorcycle. Anyway. <laughs> um, and 
you had, I can't, you had like pink hair or something like that. Um, Probably pink or green or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe, I think he maybe he said green. Yeah. Anyway, and then he said something about you were wearing airwalks. And uh, anyway, he's like, and he told little G, he's like, don't hire this guy. This dude's whack. <laughs> <laughs> I could see, I could see it. Cause I, I, he was probably looking at me and thinking, what is this kind of thing? Cause uh -huh. I was, I was just a conglomerate of whatever yeah. I thought might happen. I remember when I, when I left Reading that, that day, I, I put on as many clothes as like, I put on a couple pairs of pants, uh -huh. you know, three pairs of socks, three pairs of underwear, a couple t-shirts. <laughs> I also had these leather pants, which were, I was a 90s skateboarder, so I, I bought leather pants that were way too big for me. Okay. <laughs> so I could, fit, I could fit more pants underneath them. Why? Because uh, I had, that's all I, I had to take all my, as much as I could with me. And all I had was this little 250 Rebel. Like you were, oh, you were already planning on like moving. Yeah, I was leaving. You were leaving no for good. You weren't, you weren't just going, I thought you just like were driving down to like talk to. No, nope, I was leaving Reading. Got it. And so literally all the clothes that you had on your back. Yeah. And then all my tattoo equipment went in the backpack. And that was back when tattoo equipment was like, it was my giant national power box. Yeah. All my metal tubes, uh -huh. any books that I had. Uh -huh. um, I'm surprised that Honda could even <laughs> so I showed up, I, I rode that to San Jose. And by the time I got there, the back spokes had started to pop. Oh my God. Um, so the bike was kind of limping in Uh huh. <laughs> and I parked in front and I couldn't get off the motorcycle because there was so much weight. It kind of compressed my spine. Uh huh. So I was probably out there awkwardly trying to get off the motorcycle. <laughs> walking in and leather pant, probably looking like that kid from the Christmas story. He's uh -huh. got too many clothes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and airwalking, probably green hair or something. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, I could see why he was a little concerned about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say when um, uh, I met Paco, it was one of those moments where I, I realized this was going to be, for better or worse, a very important person in my life. Yeah. And, 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 he, and he, he has been. Yeah, what what was it about him that made you think that? Because he he was the first person I met who had the kind of creative raw power that I did, mm -hmm. and it was oh my god, this this guy has it, and he had even more of it than me, really. Mm -hmm. And it was just cool to be around somebody that could just spontaneously create. And mm -hmm. draw and and mm -hmm. and and have all kinds of ideas and do mm -hmm. things that it was it was just inspiring to be around him. Yeah, and yeah, and we worked at tattoos to us tattoos for us together for a while on that kind of tattoo row on West San Carlos. Mm -hmm. um, and had yeah, that got adventurous for a while. Um, The folks we were working for, yeah, were pretty notorious, I guess you could say. Uh -huh. And Little G's life was notorious. Yeah. And it was backed up. He was crazy, but it was backed up by more crazy. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And it, and he was, 
yeah, I'm, I'm trying to like mince my words here carefully. <laughs> <laughs> he, it, it got, it got, it got pretty crazy yeah. <laughs> being there. And Paco and I are vibing and we were having fun creating together. But we were in this, we were in an environment where it was that kind of chaotic mm-hmm. biker shop environment. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, things started, things started, little G's past started to catch up to him, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, side note, if you got the right people together, you could do an entire podcast of little G stories. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. I've heard. I've heard a number of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, uh, yeah, a certain group of people told him he needed to leave town, mm-hmm. and they gave him 30 days, which I, which seemed surprising. Usually, you would give. They, from what I understood, you give like 24 hours. But uh-huh. my feeling was part of the reason they had 30 days is because they didn't want him to come become unhinged, mm-hmm. um, because when he did, he was particularly dangerous, mm-hmm. but he still did become unhinged. And mm-hmm. uh, his partner started going to Vegas to get a new, their kind of new spot secured. Mm-hmm. And when she was gone, he started doing extreme amounts of methamphetamines uh-huh. and it just started getting harder and harder. And, and he started getting more resolute about what he was going to do in uh-huh. the situation. Uh-huh. Um, Towards the end of that 30 days, like Paco and I would show up to the shop and he'd have the place booby-trapped. He'd walk in and there'd uh-huh. be strings tight all around the shop. Uh-huh. It touched them, things would fall. Yeah. He thought they would kill you, but it would just pull something off a shelf. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and then one way we walked in and I guess I, I love G, but it's just an example of what meth can do to you. Is The place smelled like urine. And he was collapsed on the floor by a closet. And we walked up and we're like, gee, what's going on, man? What are you doing? And he had held, held up this bottle and he's like, oh, I, I drank all the Coke. I drank all the Coke. I don't know what's going on. I'm like, gee, you just drank a bottle of bleach, dude. What are you doing? And, oh, my God. Uh, I don't know what he was doing. Oh, you know? my God. <laughs> he was, and Holy shit. Yeah, we got him to the hospital. And I think that's at a point where... Paul and I realized we were, well, we, we we're going to have to get other jobs at this point. Mm-hmm. They were trying to get us to go to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think either one of us wanted to go. I went out there and helped him out for a, a weekend or something like that. But uh-huh. we started, it was, that was a pretty traumatizing experience. And we're like, well, what are we going to do? We're going to, we, we talked about both thinking Scotty would probably have us. Uh-huh. Um, and at the time, you know, Scotty's the best shop in town. Uh-huh. But we were also, based off that experience, we're like, do we want to put ourselves in another situation where it could end up, not that Scotty Marks the Right was like that at all, but mm-hmm. do we want to do that again? Or maybe this is our small window to try to create something on our own uh-huh. where we can create an environment where 
we don't have to deal with those externalities. Mm -hmm. All we can focus on, need to focus on, get to focus on is our, our creative exploration. Mm -hmm. So both of us were like, like, dude, we barely know each other. Uh -huh. We knew each other for like three or four months at that uh -huh. point. Uh -huh. But let, uh, we both loved each other's energy and we're like, let's, let's just try it. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of rests its history after that. But yeah. And then, so speaking of kind of San Jose tattooing, we'd opened that spot. I'd gone out to Vegas to help those guys out for a weekend and came back. And then Scotty showed up at our new shop. <laughs> and, you know, he was being, Scotty's, Scotty's the nicest guy, but if you don't know him, he's kind of big and intimidating. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> and I was pretty intimidated when he showed up and he came in and just kind of wandered in, just doing his scholarly thing, you know, like mm -hmm. just not talking a lot, just kind of making yeah. short comments. Yeah. So I'm trying to show him the, the place and not be too scared. Yeah. And he's looking through our flash rack because we'd, we'd, we'd intentionally put a flash rack in there so we could say like, look, here's our, mm -hmm. here's what we, we didn't have other people's flash. We drew all our own flash mm -hmm. and put it in there so we could say, here's an example of, of what we do. Mm -hmm. He's just kind of thumbing through it and he stops at this one. And he's like, hey, this one says uh, Tattoos Are Us on it. Uh -huh. I said, yeah, we, we drew that one when we were still working there, but we just included it. Uh -huh. And he kind of pauses and he's, he says, you should, you should probably take that out. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, 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 why? He's like, because it's people that asked your previous employers to leave town, come in here, and they see that, that's going to mean you're associated with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be bad for you. Mm -hmm. And then he said, and in fact, I heard you went out to Vegas to work with them. I said, yeah, 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 I flew out to help them out for the weekend. He's like, don't, don't go back. Uh -huh. If they find out you're associated with them, it's going to end very badly for you. Oh, God. And wow, that was really good advice because you know what they did show up at uh, at new school. Yeah, and they did ask about all that, and uh, yeah, that was really great advice that Scotty gave us. I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, thanks, Scotty. That was good. <laughs> Jesus, did you tell him that you had gone down to Vegas, or were you just like, did I tell Scotty? No, did you tell that when when the folks that when the folks showed up? No, yeah. so I I I, I was not. The one reason Paco and I worked so well is because we fulfilled different roles. Mm -hmm. You know, Paco could get in and talk to anybody. Yeah. You know, I couldn't complete a sentence back then. Mm -hmm. You know, I wasn't good at socializing. Mm -hmm. um, I was good at other aspects, mm -hmm. you know, um, but he was good at that socialization yeah. aspect. He yeah. Could, he could talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, so when they showed up, yeah, he handled it and he talked to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I remember. The guy who showed up was a particularly uh, dangerous person. And um, just him being there was not a good sign. So I was, uh -huh. I was fucking really stressed. But yeah, Paco really stepped up and just told him. And the guy yeah. was like, what's going on? Are you guys associated with other people? And I'm like, no, not at all. This is our thing. We're doing our thing. And mm -hmm. we don't have anything to do with them. Mm -hmm. Like, they're gone. We're trying to make our own thing. And you guys can come anytime. We'll take care of you. Yeah. So they said, all right, Paco, that's, that's cool. But you know, if I find out other words, you know what's going to happen, right? Uh-huh. And Paco was like, yeah, man, it's not a thing. 
just uh-huh. kind of casually. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, uh, and then after that, it was smooth. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, talk about nerve wracking, man. That's wild. That's just kind of the, uh, the law of the streets, I guess. Yeah, 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 yes. for sure. Fortunately, we were able to navigate it. And, yeah. And uh, a lot of those guys have been really supportive for us too. Yeah. Over the years. So back to opening new school, like um, you guys were super young, like 20 years old, right? Yeah, it's uh, that, yeah. And um, I think Paco was maybe 21. I think I was maybe 19. Yeah. yeah. And uh, at the time, yeah, you had Scotty who... Uh, who had just opened Marks of Art. I mean, he was down in kind of South San Jose. Union, so not, Union and Foxworthy. Kind yeah. Of ruled that area. Yeah. yeah. Still does. But then you had Pinky mm-hmm. and and Tattoo John. David's, yeah. All those. David. Uh, Topper, who's King, Topper. Cam- King Cameron's brother. Yeah. He's up the way. And you guys had only been tattooing like a couple years, if that, right? Mm-hmm. That that was like a big, that was a ballsy move to do that, right? Like, what did do you know if you like? Were you were you at all hesitant to to because like were you, were you worried about disrespect? I'm not saying that you did. That's not mm-hmm. that's not what I'm getting at. I'm just I'm I but I am curious about that that dynamic. Like, did were you nervous about disrespecting or upsetting any of them? Mm-hmm. We knew that it was not going to. Um, Sit right with everybody. Uh huh. But we also knew we did not want to be in that environment that we were in again. Mm-hmm. And we, that's what we decided. Let's just try it. And, and you, if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but let's try it and at least show by our actions that we have good intention mm-hmm. and see if it, and see if mm-hmm. everybody comes around. And when you say that environment, you were, you were, I'm gathering that you were fearful, fearful working for other for somebody else could put you in a similar situation like you were with little G. And so you'd rather just work for yourselves and not have that potential dynamic over your head. Is that correct or no? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, I would have avoid going to that kind of shopping. And that's why we yeah. talked about seeing if Scotty would hire us because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, that wouldn't be a problem Yeah. there. Yeah. But it was more that we just also like on top of that, mm-hmm. let's get, let's, not have to worry about helping someone else pay the rent. Yeah. No, let's just, we'll, we'll take it on, we'll split it. Mm-hmm. And then we can just focus on our creative output. Mm-hmm. Um, that was our ultimate goal with that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the year that you opened new school? I think it was 1995. I'm pretty sure. Okay. And, um, this is a this is a random question, but I'm curious. Why did you spell it with a K, S K O O L? Because, um, as graffiti writers, well, first of all, <laughs> New School was the only thing we could agree upon uh, for a name. Yeah, Paco and I rarely agreed on it. I think twice in our lives we agreed, uh-huh. and both times we were both <laughs> like, "Did we just agree on it?" <laughs> uh, we couldn't agree on a name, but New School seemed to be coming from an aspect of graffiti mm-hmm. um, as a kind of, gener- graffiti is very generational. Uh-huh. 
So we were kind of approaching it from that uh-huh. aspect. Um, and the CH in school doesn't look as cool as a K. Yeah. When you write it out as in, in mm-hmm. graffiti letter forms. Mm-hmm. So that's why we use a K. And that's why we, we kind of just both agreed that new school was like the least, the, the one we could almost agree on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and was it, had you done graffiti before that? Bef- so I went, when I was in Northern California and I was doing more, I think what you would kind of define as street art. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an education in letter forms from sign painting, okay. but it was a lot different than letter forms and graffiti. And uh-huh. I was still trying, I couldn't get my head around that process. Uh-huh. So what I was doing was more what you would today define as, as, as street art. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was another amazing thing about meeting Paco is, uh, Paco Excel mm-hmm. is, uh, just extremely talented graffiti writer. Yeah. You know, he's one of my favorite graffiti writers Yeah, and he had complete access to all that mm-hmm. and he was willing to take me into it. Yeah. Uh, and that was just, to me, that was like being given the keys to a, a whole, you know, like, mm-hmm. like Justin giving me the keys. Yeah. With tattooing, yeah. you know, Paco was giving me the keys to this whole other world. It was just more than I could imagine, more yeah. than I could hope for. Yeah. Um, so being exposed to that with the crews he was in, like TDK and AWR, mm-hmm. I just got exposed to some of the best writers on the planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to kind of develop my own approach to graffiti from there. Yeah. That's really cool. Um so you so you you open up you name it new, what was oh no sorry you said there were only two things total that you'd ever agreed with Paco and one of them was the name New School so you name it New School you open up on San Carlos which was just down the street from like we said Pinky and it John was just down the street from Pinky Pinky was the closest shop Dragon yeah. Tattoo was the closest shop did he ever come in no no and when we were at Tattoos Us when I showed up there we were indoctrinated that uh, Pinky was just a complete hack. Really? Uh, he was, n- he was nothing. Be- he was Little G was telling you this or? No, mostly his partner. Okay. Um, as I recall, maybe G, I don't, I don't know. But and either way, um, I showed up and at that point I had no idea about the lineage behind, mm-hmm. behind Pinky Young. Mm-hmm. And the tattoos that we would see that would come in were people who were coming in that were asking Pinky for stuff that was so outside his wheelhouse at that period in his life that, yeah, okay, yeah, that's kind of not a good tattoo. Right. But pretty quickly, we started to see the other stuff come in. Mm-hmm. We'd see all the Vietnamese gangster come in with their, with their outlines, mm-hmm. full sleeve outlines of just dragons that he mm-hmm. freehanded or tigers that he mm-hmm. freehanded. Mm-hmm. And that's all they were ever going to be is outlines. Right. And it didn't matter. They looked, that they looked perfect. Right. And pretty quickly we started to realize the importance of that and discovering his importance on tattooing in San Jose and all the other mm-hmm. other tattooers mm-hmm. in his circle or his family mm-hmm. that kind of had, had spread throughout the area. Mm-hmm. And then just even deeper about his lineage in Hong Kong. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was pretty, but so we did, I, I know Paco tried to go in there. I tried to go in there mm-hmm. and his wife, could smell a tattooer from a hundred yards away. I swear, as soon as you walked in, she was on you. Uh-huh. Like she was really protective uh-huh. of of the space. Uh-huh. 
I could never get beyond her. Yeah. I could never get access to him. Uh -huh. Like she would have me out of there pretty quickly. Uh -huh. um, but fortunately, Taki, uh, later in life, um, and I know he did this for a number of people, arranged for me to have dinner with Pinky. Mm -hmm. And that was a really cool experience. Yeah, I bet. And, and getting to talk to him and share things with him and just watch how his community interacted around him. Uh -huh. He was just, it was like reverential. It was really cool to watch. Yeah. Did did uh, did New School come up at all while when you were talking to Pinky? Or yeah, we brought it up, um, and he just kind of brushed it aside. Yeah, and said and it would, he he didn't seem to have harbor any ill feelings about it. Yeah, at the time in his life, you know, yeah. maybe he did earlier. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Um, yeah, I really wish that I had been introduced to him in a different way. Yeah, in a more kind of referential way. Yeah. If, uh, but I did that, that experience with him was great. And I also traveled to Hong Kong to visit the shop out there. Oh no shit. I got to experience that. When did you do that? Maybe in like 2000 and something. That's amazing. I was in Japan and Moss and I, Moss is like, Hey, I found a cheap ticket at Hong Kong. You want to go? Uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. So we went, we went there. I got to check out that place. That was a pretty cool spot to see. That is so dope. David is tattooing in Hong Kong now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That shop was so cool to see. Like it yeah. was layered, just layered and stuff. Yeah. You walk in, the whole place is just tobacco yellow. <laughs> and it's like layers and layers of flash. They would have areas where there was photos on the wall of all these like guys in the 70s uh -huh. with their tattoos. And you can see where they just rolled over it, painting the shop. Yep. Rolled over all of these photos. Yep. But then they got to one they liked. And like <laughs> rolled around it and went up and then put a piece of flash kind of right halfway over it. Uh-huh. You know? Just, it was so cool to see all the layers in it. And that's so <laughs> funny. Orly told me that that's how his shop in San Jose was too when they were taking it down. Cause I, oh, don't, I, totally believe, yeah. I don't know if you've heard the story about Orly went in as they were taking shit down yeah. and offered him a bunch of money mm -hmm. for all the flash. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so Orly like they had like almost like half of it had already been taken down and thrown in the dumpster by the time Orly got there. But the, all the stuff that he was going, yeah, he said there was like flash sheets on flash sheets yeah. on flash sheets. That's like, what it was like in Hong Kong too. Yeah, it was, <laughs> uh, it was amazing. That's why it's like it reminds me of Tom Tom Davidia's Tom Davidia's creations. Yeah, yeah, what a lineage. That's pretty that incredible. So, cool. so if Taki introduced you, then that was probably in like the late nineties by the time if. Or maybe even early two thousands. I'm trying to think. Of that was in two thousands. Two thousands. Yeah. It was. It was when we'd already we'd already moved away from. We'd we'd moved. Already, we were on West San Carlos. We moved way away into downtown onto East San Carlos, so we were kind of in a different universe at that point. Was that new school or was that when new you, school? Oh, I didn't yeah. realize you guys ever moved. Yeah, we moved downtown. We were on Third and San Carlos. Oh. And a really really cool old Victorian. Yeah. I know right where that is. Mm -hmm. That's like, ah, that was such an amazing spot. That, there's a Vix there now. I mean, not, La, I don't know. Lovix. It was right next to Lovix. It was right next to Lovix. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Then I I go to that Vix all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. I had no. I didn't know that. Um, so tell me about like, what was your guys's mindset going into new school? Like, what were you trying to accomplish? Um, visually business wise every like all of it what was what was your overall goal we were just hungry uh-huh 
yeah, we, we just wanted to explore our creative limits, mm -hmm. I would say. We were just extremely, extremely hungry to move forward. Yeah. Why were you so hungry? Because there was no internet. Uh-huh. <laughs> we were young, you know? Yeah. We were young and fiery. And yeah. We just, we wanted, and we just, every piece of knowledge, every piece of creative input we received was just, you know, feeding us. It was, yeah. you know, you have this void of, mm -hmm. as a young artist where you just want to fill it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, was, had the style new school already had that had that already been coined? Uh, no, I don't think so. It was. I think some people say it may have been getting kind of thrown around. Mm -hmm. But again, if it was, we didn't know that. We were just approaching it again from that kind of um, generational graffiti kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, pretty quickly after that, it did become. A quote, a quote unquote style. Yeah. And then we actually started in a weird way trying to distance ourselves from it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Kind of hard when your name is new school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but also because maybe the, the creative world of tattooing was opening us, opening up to us mm -hmm. more and we didn't want to get trapped in that thing that was developing that was right. it's called new school. Right. Um, for one, if, you're an actual, in tattooing, if you're an actual new school from that aspect of here's this new form of tattooing, mm -hmm. it's, I think it was kind of how that other part of it was viewed. Mm -hmm. it's, not rever it's not reverential to the, to, to the older styles of tattooing, so it mm -hmm. automatically creates conflict yeah. with, that, with the older tattooers, right. which is not what we wanted at all. Right. Uh, and we didn't agree with that at mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of why we, I just, I guess we didn't, we couldn't diss ourselves from it because that's what we named ourselves, but mm -hmm. it was more that we just tried to show it by example that that's not what we were representing. But wasn't, wasn't the style that you guys were doing at, at, close to, or if not the new school, the style that eventually became known as new school? The, from the, from the character, 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 what's the word I'm trying to say? Caricature. Caricature aspect. It's a hard word. <laughs> of, of us taking in uh, those aspects of character models from graffiti. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, and whether we were doing it at the same time or people were being influenced by us, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that's really about it. Yeah. The other part that we were doing was on letter forms. Mm-hmm. About graffiti letter forms, mm -hmm. and to us that was completely different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and outside from the from the character forms that we were doing on people, mm -hmm. you know, like uh, you know your, your typical graffiti character of a b boy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. On other graffiti writers, um, outside of that, no, we were focusing on gen generally kind of learning about tattooing as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then. I guess that style of new school got a little more codified, mm -hmm. got a little more icing on it, I mm -hmm. guess, a lot more icing on it. Yeah. And then it kind of became that kind of, that style. Yeah. 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 
Um, so how long did it take you guys to build up a clientele? At, at, I mean, wait, were, were people coming in right away? Or? The area we were in, we were really fortunate because there was, right behind us, there was all kinds of kids that come, wanted to come in and get Old English. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the Chicano and Chicana people all mm -hmm. were coming in to get letters from us all day long. Mm -hmm. And that was so fun. Mm -hmm. Same with, um, and the Vietnamese kids were coming to get letters all day long. So, and mm -hmm. we were doing letters mm -hmm. and th that's the two communities that wanted that. Yeah. So we didn't have any shortage of that whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and then I just really quickly kind of caught hold in the rest of the, the other communities in mm -hmm. San, within San Jose. And mm -hmm. I think it happened first pretty quickly. I guess the first six months, I think Paco was working up in San Francisco a little bit mm -hmm. to um, supplement his income. Mm -hmm. He had a little bit more expensive lifestyle than me. Mm -hmm. um, so I could get by with less, so I didn't need to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but also just, you know, this part of me, me and Paco being completely different. Like part of what I did is made things happen and held things down. Mm -hmm. It was kind of a role I fulfilled within that. Mm -hmm. um, but then pretty shortly after that, it, it really started to take off for both of us pretty quickly. Yeah. And um, I mean, you already, you talked about the Chicano kids and the Vietnamese kids coming and getting a lot of lettering, but other than that, what were you tattooing there early on? There were, there was no shortage of people who wanted to come in and just see what we could explore. Yeah. And we were doing a lot of graffiti stuff. We had a lot of lettering, graffiti lettering mm -hmm. on all the graffiti writers, of course. Mm -hmm. And then we were also just exploring Americana and Japanese mm -hmm. and different forms. And of course I was emulating Marcus Pacheco as hard as I could. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of that. Did, what, um, what did Marcus think about you opening your own shop? I mean, I'm sure you told him. Mm -hmm. It was in a different city. Right. I mean, sorry. I mean, I mean, not, I mean, as more, I meant that more as a uh, mentor, like did, was he like excited for you or was it like, was he supportive or did he not? He was supportive. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't. To him, I think anybody who was kind of looking to explore their, looking to explore and however they did it, I think he thought that was good. Yeah. There was a lot of people that were like, you're, you're what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. How old are you? You just did what? Yeah. Um, but again, Marcus was in a completely different city, so it had zero effect on him. And right. The politics just didn't apply. He didn't have to worry about the politics of it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. he, was, he was supportive. Did he ever come down and check out the shop? In San Jose? No. No. It's, it's hard to get Marcus to go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who was the first? Oh, wait. No, he did. Yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah, I forgot. That he did yeah. once. <laughs> that was a surprise, yeah. Like early on or later? Or? Kind of mid, I think. Yeah. Um, who was the first artist besides you and Paco that you guys brought on board? Grimy. Yeah. I actually didn't know that Grimy was at New School until I interviewed Paco. Mm -hmm. It was just for a short time, right? Yeah. It was a short time. And then he got hired. Marcus hired him. Mm -hmm. And that's where he wanted to be. Yeah. You know? um, 
And who, who wouldn't want to be there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I had seen Grimey at a Seattle convention, mm-hmm. um, and then at the, but I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. I just remember seeing him. Mm-hmm. And then Paco and I were working the Houston convention, and like, oh god, I don't think, I don't know, ninety five maybe. Mm-hmm. And we would show up to conventions with you know our banner that was too big for the booth that smelled like spray paint because we had painted it the night before mm-hmm. and plain uh, people would be kind of so annoyed with us <laughs> and <laughs> hung up this giant banner and we both had our uh, our nameplate belt buckles that we got from the San Jose flea market okay this old guy and yeah 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 <laughs> so I'm sitting there tattooing <laughs> and I'm, I'm tattooing and I hear this guy say hey man nice belt mm-hmm. and I look up and it's grimy mm-hmm. and he's showing his belt he's like check out mine <laughs> <laughs> shows his nameplate belt buckle and uh, yeah, that's how I officially met Grimey. <laughs> Did you know of him before that? Yeah, because Sean Bell, my friend uh-huh. who randomly moved to Arizona, uh-huh. told me, he's like, dude, I met this guy in Arizona. He's starting a tattoo and he's doing this really cool stuff. Uh-huh. Like, Grimey, okay, I don't know. Okay. Uh-huh. I want to see it soon. And then shortly after, he walks up and says hi. Yeah. And y- did you put that together when you met him? That- Immediately, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you're Grimey, wow. And so how did that conversation come about him joining new school? We said, man, if you, he, he was kind of on the road a lot. Mm-hmm. And we said, anytime we want to come through, we'd love to host you. And he said, don't say that. I'll just show up. Mm-hmm. And we said, show up. And he did. Yeah. And he showed up and he's like, we, we would like, if you, you know, if you want to be in the Bay, maybe you should plant your feet here uh-huh. and see where it goes. Yeah. And he did. Wow. Wild, wild. You know, and Brett was a graffiti writer too, and mm-hmm. it was just all kind of fit into place. Yeah. Who? So after Grime, who else? What? I mean, so so many artists went through New School, so I know it's hard to, to let me, remember them let me all. Let me think but. if I can do it categorically. Um, <laughs> so Grime came through, and then Wrath, aka Gordon McLeod. Mm-hmm. And then Jason Kandel, a.k.a. King Bless, mm-hmm. came through. And then we had Craig Toth, um, Mike Giant, Adam Barton, mm-hmm. Phil Holt, mm-hmm. Dog, mm-hmm. Nate Banuelos, mm-hmm. uh, Ron Earhart, mm-hmm. Matt Frickin' Shama. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I embarrassingly forgot somebody, but that's an example. Jim Miner. Jim Miner was analog. Oh, wait, I thought he I thought he was at the very tail end of New School. He may have guested okay. at New School, but yeah, he got the job at at analog. Okay. Pretty sure. Okay. Um yeah, those were Taki was there, wasn't he there for like six months? <laughs> and of course Taki. Yeah. yeah, it was, was it was really it was, was really short though, right? And yeah, because wasn't I'm trying to remember. Taki was there for a short bit, and then he got taken on by Horiyoshi Three, right? And of course, you know where he chose. You know, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he wasn't because I he was at. I mean, he was he was apprenticing under Horiyoshi for so long before he opened. State of Grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at. He, I think he did the majority of it at Marks of Art, right? 
was at Marks of Art, and then I think he was at House of Pain too for a yeah, bit. Yeah, he was at House of Pain. I think he was at House yeah. of Pain first for a bit. Yeah. Marks of Art. Yeah. And then he started State of Grace. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. Taki's been such a pivotal, pivotal person in maintaining and fostering tattooing in San Jose. Oh, yeah. I honestly, I don't think this podcast would exist if it weren't for Taki's encouragement, to be 100% honest. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, I mean, what was the energy like at New School? You, those are all amazing artists that you just list, listed. Um, and shout out to Matt Shama specifically for actually connecting me and you <laughs> to get this interview. Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, thank you, Matt. Um, uh, what, yeah, what was the energy like? What was it like working there? What was it like running the place? It was, the energy was just so strong and that's why we, I mean, that's one of the reasons we did it for mm -hmm. so long. Mm -hmm. Just having all that powerful creative energy in one place and maintaining it over mm -hmm. a long period, like. There was, what we had was really special and it's not something that most people, most places, there was not any, really any place in the world as far as I was concerned could quite do what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this from like an egotistical point of view. I'm just yeah. looking back and I'm like, that was amazing. Right, <laughs> right. It was, we were always pushing each other extremely hard we were always being um, I'm not sure how to say it. Other than, yeah, we were always exp pushing each other extremely hard mm -hmm. um, to get to the next level. Yeah. Um, there was always the next level mm -hmm. that we were all pushing ourselves to get next to get to get to. Mm -hmm. And having those many creative powerhouses in, in one place really really push us and that was one of the benefits of being there and I knew that being there like the, one of the benefits of me being here is having all that energy around me yeah if I was just isolated by myself yeah I wouldn't have all this these waves of energy around me every day yeah um, and for me as far as like running it New School had kind of become and analog had become a way for me to create and foster my chosen family mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had my family had been extremely fractured mm -hmm. um, through circumstances nobody's fault but mm -hmm. that's what it was mm -hmm. so this is my chance to create my chosen family that I could you know to a certain degree not be being controlled but more keep safe yeah you know what I mean um, and so that that became a a thing for me that I didn't realize, like people would used to call me, clients and tattooers would call me mom behind my back. Uh -huh. And it would make me crazy uh -huh. when I found out until I realized that was the role I was fulfilling. Uh -huh. you know? and, and that's, it's fleet week. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, I'm not worried about it. I think that that was one important role for me as to why I assumed those responsibilities to do uh -huh. to carry it in that aspect. Yeah. Um, and again, another reason why it worked is because I carried those roles and 
Paco carried completely different roles. Yeah. The social roles that he handled that, it's not mm -hmm. something I could do very well. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, despite all our contrasts, mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. That's why those two things work so well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did that energy do for you artistically? Like how did your tattoos progress while at new school? I would say it just, it was like springboarding every time because you could just look at your coworkers tattoo mm -hmm. and see what they did and springboard. Yeah onto the next thing. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, it was like just jumping levels. Yeah. Thank you so much to Adrian for taking the time to talk to me. The rest of this interview is going to be out on next week, Wednesday, October 25th. Big thank you to Tessia Spizak for our logo. Check out her work on Instagram. She's at TrashSack69. And thank you to Mint Beats for our intro and outro music. Tattoo 408 is produced by me, Ethan Gregory Dodge, and is distributed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share Alike 4.0 International License. Wasn't that a mouthful? Anyway, see y'all next week. Later. <laughs>